Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. We have a great show planned for you this week. I'm going to talk to Alex Gruskin of the Cracked Rackets Network. We discuss the City Open. He's on site in Washington, D.C. We're going to break down all the drama in the first couple of days. Rafael Nadal survives Jack Sock in a thrilling three-set match. Nadal's status, we break his health down, what it's like for him going forward. The rising American young players, Jensen Brooksby, Brandon Nakashima, of course, Sebastian Corda. We break down all the drama at the City Open with Alex Gruskin. And then Marta Kostu joins the show, the Ukrainian teenager on the rise in the tennis world, fresh off of a fourth round run at Roland Garros. We have a nice interview with her coming up where she talks about the training, the ups and downs of being a tennis prodigy, and some of her interests off the court as well. It's Alex Gruskin, followed by Marta Kostu on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside In, calling in from the City Open in Washington, D.C. He's a podcast host and author for the upstart media company, Crack Rackets, and you can find all of his work on the Mini Break, Great Shot Podcast, and Crack Interviews, all of which can be found on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Please welcome to the show, Alex Gruskin. Alex, thanks for calling in. You're a busy man these uh, days. <laughs> well, it is my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I will say not only am I a busy man, but I'm a man surrounded by Billikens, whether it's super producer Daniel Westoff, whether it's Crack Rackets owner Dalton Seneman, or now you. I just I can't avoid the SLU University crew, so a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. We're everywhere. We're, we're lurking, I think. You know, no one sees us coming. <laughs> Um, no, that's, exactly. that's really funny. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad we were able to kind of get the chat for the first time uh, on the air. And uh, I think specifically this week uh, has a special place in the tennis world in general, but never more so than this year. You're on D.C., the City Open, which has been growing over the last couple of years. It's at the forefront of a lot of cool things. And, and I like the fact, Alex, that it's become kind of like the official stop before the Masters Hardcourt Swing in North America in the summer. This year especially, and we saw it in the Nadal sock match, the fans are back, and, and this is the first time, I think, definitely on this continent, but maybe in the tennis world since pre-COVID, where there's a buzz on the grounds. And that's got to be, I would assume, what you're feeling as well, being there. That is absolutely takeaway number one from being on the grounds this week in D.C. And, you know, it, I think it does help, and I'm sure listeners of this podcast will have heard this stat already. There are seven American men into the round of 16 at this event. That's the most since 1993, the most of the Alex Gruskin era of city opens. But of course, yeah, I, I think there's just a buzz on the ground and you have to give so much credit to Carlos Silva, Mark Ein, the entire city open team for ensuring that they would be able to to have the 100% capacity that we've seen. But, uh, you know, we were talking about it before the, uh, the podcast started. Last night, Wednesday night, for depending on when you're listening to this, uh, Rafael Nadal taking on Jack Sock. Nadal ends up coming back from a breakdown in the third, winning 7-6 in the third. That's the most electric match I have ever been to at the professional level. And it was reminiscent to me of that NCAA final we saw in Orlando in Florida where it was 100% capacity. The Gator crowd was out. And to your point, it's just these players haven't had that in so long. And to a T, all of them have mentioned in their post-match press conferences so far. Yeah, it, it was special to watch. And, and I just love the fact that this has become, and it's growing, it's becoming a destination for top players, not just the young upstart Americans, which we'll get to in a second, but they get Nadal to commit. We're going to see Sinner in a little <laughs> bit. We're seeing, you know, we saw Murray come here a few years ago, Sitsipas, Verev played this event. I love the fact that it's filled that void, Alex, that I think we need more big tournaments on the road to the U.S. Open, and this is this is growing. It's becoming a bigger event, it seems, each year. Mm -hmm. No, and I'm, I'm really, I love the way you framed it as well as a warm-up or kind of the, the gateway to 
the North American Hardcore Masters events prior to the U.S. Open. And I mean, uh, people who have watched this event, you can go back to 2019, where Daniil Medvedev's big run in the summer hardcore stretch started at the 2019 City Open. Now, he ended up losing that final to Kyrgios, but he goes on, you know, finals of Rogers Cup, wins Cincinnati, finals of the U.S. Open. Absolutely, we can see players get hot at this event and take that momentum and ride it into the rest of uh, this North American hardcore summer season. But again, uh, to your point, I think the big thing all of these players are more excited about, even beyond the level of play getting back to hardcore, it, it can't be emphasized enough. They have missed the fans as much as we have missed seeing them. And I do think the level of play we've seen through the first three days of this event has reflected as much. It has been some spectacular tennis on the grounds in D.C. It has all the way from the top to the bottom. It's been great. Uh, I want to start with Rafa because his decision to play this event, coming off of that epic French Open match, he takes time off. He doesn't play Wimbledon. He doesn't play the Olympics. Were you surprised? I mean, obviously they rolled out the red carpet as one would. He got the Capitals jersey from Lars Eller. It was a big event. They gave him the key to the city, essentially. But Alex, were you surprised that Rafa decided to play this tournament and start his hardcore season a little earlier? Yes and no. And it's worth noting, uh, he was well compensated to show up here in mm -hmm. D.C. Like, let's be clear, it goes without saying that the appearance was healthy. Um, and, I, you know, we're all really excited that he got to enjoy the White House at the Capitol building. That's not something we get to do every day. But, you know, shout out to Rafa for finding both buildings in one location. Um, no, I mean, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that he hadn't played a match since the end of May. And just respectfully, Rafa Nadal, he knows, like, I don't know why I said respectfully. He, I, I'm always respectful to Rafa, but he's well aware of the fact that from a scheduling perspective, he's just, it's not worth it to just throw yourself to the wolves right away and go back-to-back -back Rogers Cup to Cincinnati and then play the U.S. Open. That's never been how he's approached this part of the schedule. Now, oftentimes, it's usually just one of the events, one of either the Rogers Cup or the Western and Southern Open, but given that he didn't play in the grass court season, it doesn't completely shock me that he wanted to get one more tournament under his belt. Now, will we see him play even a second match here in D.C.? I think that's a, it's an open question. And will we see him play only one of the Rogers Cup and Western and Southern Open this year? I think that's a guaranteed yes. But to see him start the campaign at the City Open, just given the layoff, makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, everything about Rafa, his whole career, is that he is that well-oiled machine that when he plays an event, he's in it to win it, but he's very mindful of his body and, and just revving up for the majors. And I think at the core of this, Alex, we're seeing that this is a guy that still doesn't want to roll over and just, whether it's Djokovic in the major race or this young generation of players that's coming up, he's not ready to just step to the side just yet. So I think that was leading into last night's match, the match against Jack Sock, where he Rafa definitely looked rusty. I just want to start with the positives, though. Shout out. I know you agree with this, but Jack Sock playing good tennis was fun to see again, going shot for shot with one of the best players in the game, in the world, and really, you know, showing that he still had that elite level tennis in the bag when I think a lot of people were doubting it, given how far he had fallen. It was great to see Jack Sock back on the main stage. Oh, no question about that. And I was having this conversation in the press box with multiple people, and I was openly mocked openly mocked, let me say. You know what? I'm going to throw him under the bus because All I right. have no problem doing it. Ben Rothenberg, you know who, what you said to me after I said I thought Jack Sock was going to give Rafa some trouble on the grounds on Wednesday. But, no, it was – I mean, the entire press row was in the press. Like, all of us were trying to jam into the little two-row you know, two section that they allow us to sit in to just try and watch that match in person because even when losing the first set 6-2 – Sock had break points on Nadal in those opening service games, and you could tell within the first 10 minutes of the match that Jack had made the decision, look, I'm swinging through my backhand today. I'm going down swinging, and if I lose, so be it. Like, that's fine. I don't Losing to Rafa, there's no shame in that. But I'm not going to let him, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts me to death with his, if I'm slicing a backhand, I know it's going to go forehand, cross, forehand, cross, forehand, cross, forehand, line, and you're absolutely right. Why that match was so electric, why the crowd was able to get so engaged was because Jack's level reflected the, the grandeur of the moment. He brought a primetime performance to a primetime match. And, you know, I got to flip this on you because watching from home, could you feel the energy through the screen? Because, I mean, yeah. we had fans getting kicked out of the sand. Oh. Like a lady was told, <laughs> you are too drunk. It's time for you to go. And 
honestly don't love that decision. Well, Let the drunk lady stay. Come on. <laughs> well, I, I would say that I didn't know this. notice the fans were getting kicked out. The electricity was palpable. You could feel it. You know, Rafa is Rafa. It's like Federer, obviously. He's going to be the most cheered man, whether he's playing in your country or not. But there yeah. was a support for soccer. I think there was just a support my sense was for just good tennis that there was more of an electricity feel to that match and and again i think the biggest thing is we know the talents there with sock but just keeping his head in it keeping his strategy and and, and being willing to willing to go for it obviously was a, was a great decision i mean the tiebreaker notwithstanding it was good to see him playing yeah. well i i do have to go back to rafa though because watching that match you started to see you know the heart of the champion is always there alex and he fought back from a breakdown in the third but he started limping you can notice it pretty obviously, and that's not a good sign for somebody at his age with the miles on that body. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to your point, yeah, Sock was a primetime player. He brought the, you know, the PCP performance, but look, it's the way Rafa competes. That's always been his calling card. And with all due respect to Federer, with all due respect to Djokovic, and act great shots hot if you're angry with this take, but that's what separates him from the other big three, is that on each and every point, you're getting 150% of Rafa. And even when he's physically laboring, even when that foot is in immense pain, as he described it was in his post-match presser, with Rafael Nadal steps on a court, he can only perform one way. He's got one speed, and that speed is as captivating as any speed we've seen in the history of men's tennis, to your point. But, you know, quickly clack here, I had the opportunity to chat with him in the post-match presser. You can find all of the quotes on our website, crackrackets.com, and of course, Tennis Channel Podcast Network, like, rate, subscribe, review to all of the shows. Um, but talking to him in the post-match presser, he, he made the point, it's not a fitness issue. It's a pain management issue. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing if you're a Rafa fan, because if you're managing your pain, that means you don't anticipate it's going away anytime soon. But it is worth mentioning that, again, even with the in-between point limps, as you point out, you still got the 110% effort from Rafa in the match. Now, the question I, I think all of us ask is, can he do that seven matches in a row in New York? I don't know. That's a lot of pain to manage. I don't disagree with you saying that that's what separates him, the effort, the intensity between Djokovic and Federer on every point. But you could make the case that that could you know, be a detriment at times, that that's going to, you know, that picking your spots could be beneficial. Do you think we see him tonight as we record this play Lloyd Harris? Uh, yes, because of all of the opponents, you'd be like, oh, it's a big server. Like, it's not like I'm playing 15-shot rallies against him. I, I, I do think we do. It's also worth noting, imagine you have a bum foot and you just have to keep pressing off that foot over and over again, serve after serve. And it is worth noting, I mean, how many times last night did we see Jack Sock run around the ball and hit forehand and get whatever look he wanted on the return? And even this year when he's had success, I'm going to throw out one quick stat on Rafa. You know, you look for him, he's one of five players to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage. And those five guys make a lot of sense. It's Djokovic, it's Nadal, it's Virev, it's Medvedev, it's Rublev. That's your top 15 club, as we refer to it at Crack Rackets. And yes, despite being one of the five best on tour in those two metrics, you look at his career averages, Rafa's below his career average in hold percentage. He's below his career average in first serve points one, below his career average in second serve points one, below his career average in serving points one in general. The slowdown, and I think that reflects what we've seen with our eyes. So when the numbers and the eyes both reveal decline, that's certainly a concerning thing. Now, again, he's still Rafa, but it is a concern worth having as we head towards New York. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Alex Ruskin on Tennis Channel Inside in here on the Tennis Podcast Network. Still a lot of questions with Rafa. The, the rest of this tournament, I'm going to actually read a quote from yourself here. Uh, forget, the hot girl, forget the hot girl summer. 2021 is officially the summer of the young American tennis player. I don't know if that's an official slogan, but we're going to run with it now. Uh, it is. It, it, there are a lot of young American tennis players that are that are not only taking over the scene, but are in this tournament. So I'll, I'll take the floor to you here. Who of the group that's playing now has caught your eye, maybe captivated you the most in this moment? 
Well, can I just say, and listeners of our Crack Rackets podcast know there's nothing I enjoy hearing quoted more than myself. So I appreciate you saying that always. But um, no, I mean, I've had this conversation with every journalist on the ground that, you know, I see them and before we even exchange names, I go, Fritz, Opelka, Tiafo, Paul, or Brooks, Bicorda, Nakashima, who do you like more? Because depending on how you answer, we'll tell me right away if we're going to be friends or not. <laughs> and like, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, there's a lot of talent right now in American men's tennis. And as two people who came of age as tennis fans in the, you know, 2005 onwards, I'm going to group you in with me. Yep. That's not something we've been able to say a lot of over the last 15 years. And yet, it's so, and again, hot girl, I need, I need a better catchphrase. Like that's too long. It's, you can't yeah, say, Oh, it's long. the summer it, of the young American. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good starting what do we, point. Um, do we call it the summer of yam young American men, like the summer of the yam? I'm kind <laughs> of in on that. Let's, let's workshop that a little bit. Um, yeah, but no, I, I, get exactly. your, I get your point that, you know, this is, it seems like it's a boom, but we I mean, obviously we have to see how this plays out. But the talent at the ground floor at how young they are is really the intriguing part. It's, there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of stock to buy. And we know the law of averages says not all of these guys are going to pan out. And sure. pan out is a relative term. But between Korda, Bashin Nakashima, and Jensen Brooksby, I mean, obviously Korda has accomplished a little bit more at this point in their career. But you have three young guys before their age, of, before the age of 21, that have really accomplished quite a bit, and the future does look bright. Which is, as you said, the first time we could really say that about American tennis and men's tennis in a long time. Yeah, I, I apologize. I don't, I don't think I answered your question it, uh, to your last point, yeah. but um, I, I very much agree with you. Uh, I would think the guy to watch, and it makes sense that he, you know, he's got the HP title of the group and. You know, he's got the last name as well as Sebastian Corda. Just everything about Sebastian Corda. Watching Wimbledon, I was like, is that Tomas Burdich, but American? Like, it was like, it, it was, you're never going to see more. Like, and it just makes so sense. It makes such sense how Corda's game is going to succeed in the modern era. 6'4 six, to 6'6, six, six, easy pace off of both wings, big first serve. He's already, you know, a top 25 club guy, which is, top 25 in both hold and break percentage and you know he's one of 14 guys you can say that about at his age and you look at the advanced the elo ratings at tennis abstract which measure who you play not when and where like the rankings do he's you know a top 20 guy by all of the advanced metrics and he's still only 20 21 years old and i just think his game makes the most sense and yet to your point like the floor of a Nakashima, the floor of a Brooksby. It just feels like they're already so good already. It's not like they're going to get worse yeah. over the next decade. And so I think there's a stability to the next next-gen group that I think the Fritz, Opelka, Paul, Tiafo quartet never really achieved. And I think that's why American fans have been able to grapple onto this group so quick. Yeah, Corda, especially with his size, goes about 6'5", and has been putting out a lot of strength, uh, well documented over the last couple of years. Just the, the way men's tennis has been getting, it's been getting taller and bigger. I mean, you could say that about a lot of sports, but Corda has the has the weapons and, and has is already on the fast track and further ahead among these other two guys. Uh, just a great quick, head of hair too. Great head of hair. One of the best flow in the in the in the tour. Maybe. <laughs> it's debatable. Sitsipas and Zvera might have something to say about that. But but Jensen Brooksby has kind of been the I say what's new, what's in the moment right now. Fascinating guy to watch. Six foot four, and he's kind of just clearing. He's kind of just checking off all these you know cliches like you need experience, you know you need to learn how to lose. All this stuff we hear. He's playing big moments, huge. He's got a lot of confidence, which we can discuss as well. And he defends for his size as good as just about any young player that I've seen in his first couple of tournaments. So Jensen Brooksby, for all the reasons, this is a guy that doesn't have a lot of pro experience like Nakashima. And he's already, Alex, stepping into the moments, knocking off some big players and not afraid to mix it up with some of the greats. You no, know, it's, it's, it's a joke. And I think he's 36-7, and seven, something like that, overall this season, a couple of challenger titles, and another guy who the advanced metrics absolutely love. And it's just, you know, again, it's, it's funny. I, I, I was talking to some people on the ground about Brooksby and just, you know, people in the Brooksby camp. Um, and it, I'm fortunate I, get, I happen to know some of those people now. And just like, A, I feel really protective of Jensen. I know this is a, a personal thing and maybe yeah. listeners are like, why, why is that relevant? But um, it's because if you grew up in a tennis community, as I did, uh, you definitely know a Jensen Brooksby in your life. There was the kid at your local club 
who was super, super talented, who was just, you're like, this guy is going to make it at whatever level he wants to play, whether it was collegiately where you are, whether it's a guy with pro upside, like you're just like, okay, this guy is dedicated to tennis. This is what he wants to do. He wants to be the best tennis player he can be. And there's almost an innocence to Brooksby where it's like he is just so driven right now on competing point in, point out, and just becoming the best tennis player he can be first and then worrying about everything else in his life later that it's just like you don't want to see that bubble burst. You want to be able to allow, you know, allow him to stay in his little incubation tube and just become the best tennis player he can be because he's such a fascinating competitor. And just, you know, it's, it's funny. I think it's, it's almost a backhanded compliment, the fact that every time people talk about Jensen Brooksby, it's always, well, the best thing he does is compete. All he can do is compete. He competes so well. And it's like, you really just think he's winning matches by competing? Like, are you watching the tennis? And the way someone put it to me, he's death by high percentage. He is going to high percentage you to death. He's going to do the 70%, 75% thing over the course of two and a half hours, and he is making a bet that the statistics are going to win out in the end. And it's not the most aesthetically beautiful style of play, but mathematically, I think it works. Like if, if I describe his game like that to you, does, does that make sense to say it, his, he's about the numbers winning out over time? It does. It does. And, and I think, you know, to get to the competing thing, maybe it is does sound like a little bit of a backhanded compliment, but I would say too that when there's a new player, man or man or woman on the tour at a young age, it's almost like that new car smell where we know the weapons are going to get better. We just want to see what they have at their at their basis, at their genesis. What do they really have at the foundation? And seeing that they compete at a young age and that they're willing to, you know, not back down in the moment. We just not to assume, but we all kind of figure that their pros are going to work on their craft. Things will get better, but. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he was the youngest Newport finalist ever, 45 years of that tournament, and he made the finals in his first go. So something's there, not just competing. And a shout-out to the fan in the crowd against Tiafo because we're in Tiafo's hometown, D.C., who, after every point, was swimming against the grain. And you hear, let's go, Francis, let's go, Francis. And you just heard a, let's go, JT. And I was like, yeah. I was that like, wasn't, that wasn't I was you, like, was it? Yeah, no, exactly. It wasn't me. But I was like, I like you a yeah. lot. I was like, I'm in. I, I was rooting for that person more than anyone else in the match. Hey, three three years ago, by the way, Alex, I know you know this, but it was a Nakashima versus Brooksby and Kalamazoo in the U18 finals. And uh, I don't want Nakashima to get left out here uh, being, you know, kind of drafting right now. But he's had the most consistent run of any of these guys in this last month. Two finals still going here in the City Open. Uh, and this is somebody, too, who doesn't have a lot of pro experience. It has really come together for him. He's gone quickly from you know, just getting into these tournaments and, and going out in the first round to now proving that he can play at the same level as some of his compatriots. It's almost like he felt like he had to catch up to these guys, and he's doing that right now. No, 100%. And I think, you know, Corda's the flashiest. Corda's the, the sexiest, uh, dare I say, of the prospects. Where you're like, yep, that, like, I see it, totally makes sense. Brooksby's the most intriguing because you're like, what is this? And it, you're just like, you watch Jensen Brooksby for five seconds. And you're like, I need to keep watching because I, I don't, comp- I don't understand what's happening in front of my eyes. I think Nakashima is the most logical of the three where you're just like, Oh yeah, this guy is super, super traditional tennis player and super good at the various plays and his patterns. And just, he'll go cross, cross line with the backhand and just his ability to absorb redirect pace, his defensive skills, his serve gets better with every match. It's just like, I don't think there's, Oh, that's not fair. There's a lot of extraordinary qualities about Brandon Nakashima, but there's not that extraordinary, you know, that one standout thing about his game where you say, that's it. That's the Nakashima. Like, that, I see it now. Yeah. But at that said, I also think it may be the most well-rounded of the group right now where it's just like, oh, yeah, that looks like a traditionally classically trained tennis player. He's got wins over Isner and Milos already, so he can handle the big servers we've we've seen. And, and I know this also stands out to you, too, with the exception of Corda and we can expand it a little bit, though. This guy's got some college tennis experience, too. So maybe that's where oh. we're heading, where we're playing, even if it's a year. But some of these young players go to college, hone their skills, develop there, and then, you know, it, it expands in the pros. So we got the college tennis component back again. No, absolutely. To stick with a familiar theme, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the other crack brackets goes to Staples on our podcast is me giving shout-outs to myself. And I feel the need to give a shout-out to myself once again here. Shout-out to B. I got to watch that match with two former college tennis greats, 
Alex Damajan, former standout at University of Virginia, and of course, his former teammate, NCAA singles champion Ryan Shane, were both on site for that, uh, for the matches, and just, again, to to listen to them break down a fellow Virginia Cavalier in Brandon Nakashima, talk about his game, hear their perspective. I think what's most impressive about Brandon is the way other players speak about his game, where they're just like, yeah, man, like, you know, when you're, when you're getting on the court with Brandon, it's two hours of grind. Like you, he's not going to beat himself. He's going to play high percentage and good luck. Like, you know, you're in for a fight. And then there's just a, I, I agree with you. It's just like, yeah, college tennis ties always, baby, it works. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alex Gruskin on Tennis Channel Inside In. A couple more things as we wrap up this chat on the City Open. Uh, going forward, the City Open will not, this edition will not feature Nick Kyrgios, who lost in the first round, his first match to Mackie McDonald. And uh, I know we talked about Rafa earlier, and he said it wasn't a fitness issue, it was a pain management issue. Dare I say it is kind of a fitness issue with Nick Kyrgios. He just hasn't played tennis much. And I don't know if it's lack of reps more so than fitness, uh, Alex, but... We just haven't seen Kyrgios on the court, and you know all these points are falling off of his ranking, and it's going to be tough for him to play him back into consistent tour pro shape unless he just gets out there. It's been a, a confounding week for Nick Kyrgios. There's no denying that, and you know watching him play last night with in doubles with Francis Tiafo, like I, this is not meant to be a slight. I would like to make this clear. Why Nick Kyrgios doesn't explore playing doubles four time, uh, full time? He looks like he is having so much more fun on the court when he is playing doubles. He's much more engaged and just focused on the big points. And there are no balls in concentration because he holds himself so accountable as a teammate. That's the thing he values more than anything else. And of course, in tennis, that's the thing that's so difficult is because so frequently you are playing on your own. But, you know, listening to Nick in press conferences earlier this week, he said, this might be, you know, I go to all of these events and I think, is this the last time I'm going to be at this event? And you can just, you, you hear and see a player who just, again, a little bit lost on court. There's no denying that. And, of course, again, watching the doubles match, the talent is still there. There are still things Nick Kyrgios can do on a court that maybe three other people right now in the men's game are capable of doing at the same time. It's, you know, the anti-Jensen Brooksby is Nick Kyrgios. We talk about, you know, tennis by percentage for Brooksby. That's not Nick Kyrgios. Kyrgios is a rhythm player. Kyrgios is a feel player. And, you know, in his loss to Mackie McDonald, he had breakpoint chances. But when you're a rhythm and a feel player, you need repetition. And I think on those breakpoints, you saw the lack of repetition manifest itself. And so, you know, again, it, it is, it's a fascinating time for Nick Kyrgios because, Again, watching these crowds, the way they engage him, the way they are drawn to him, whether it's singles, whether, you know, he is one of the, this is a dangerous take, one of the five people who can make doubles matter. Um, It's, tennis is a better place. That's why I wanted to ask him during the press. I asked him, you know, what do we need to do to get you back on court more frequently? Because tennis is a better place with Nick Kyrgios. It's just, you know, what does Nick Kyrgios want to do? I completely agree with that, Alex. I do that, you know, he is a special talent, still is exciting, brings fans in, all that stuff. But I think it was the legendary football coach, Bill Parcells, who said at a certain point, you are what your record says you are. And I just worry that it's been this this many years. Is this just who Nick is, a guy that can win any match? But the expectations of him to win big tournaments and go on major runs in Grand Slams and otherwise might not be fair. I I, I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, it's so tough, though, because at the same time, it's disingenuous to say this guy doesn't have the talent to do all these different things because that is absolutely an observation you have to make. And, oh, my goodness, this is where you just got to love D.C. Who do I see walking outside? I'm staying with a buddy at an apartment. I see Benoit Pair walking. I'm not going to say with whom, but Benoit Pair walking on the streets of D.C. You love to see that. You always love to see that. Uh, one of the many players to 
thoroughly enjoying themselves, clearly, is by he, the looks of it. Is he wearing all black? Uh, I was going to ask that. It's a pretty hot day. He's wearing, wearing all black, and I'm not even going to lie. I think he's – what are the scooters called? I don't want to give a free advertisement. Is it bird or yeah. whatever? I think he – I see him birding, right? And that's definitely him. Like, wow. he's, he's holding the bird with an extreme forehand grip. That's 100% him. Um, and it's, it's incredible to see. But, no, I, I apologize. Yeah, that was fine. distracting to me. But, um, no, to uh, – to your point, it's like it, it's disingenuous to say Nick doesn't have the talent to do all of those things. At the same time, the closer you follow tennis, the more you realize talent is irrelevant in a sport, or not irrelevant, but it's much less relevant in a sport that is so critical uh, based on you know dedication and your ability to have stamina and the mental wherewithal to you know play three consecutive weeks in a row and just the the, the willingness to do that and. Nick's got other interests. He's been very open about that his whole career. There's no shame in having other interests at the same time from the tennis perspective to be the top 10 guy, to be the guy week in, week out winning titles. You just have to play more frequently than he does. And as of right now, that's not the choice he wants to make, which is fine, but we should probably adjust our expectations accordingly. Absolutely. Uh, Kyrgios remains a curious figure on tour, but one that fans absolutely want to see. And as you say, the game is better with him in it. Um, Alex Gruskin from Crack Rackets, before I let you go here on Tennis Channel Inside In, what other thoughts do you have on this tournament? Some predictions? We didn't mention a few of the other players that are still going. Sinners in this tournament. Cam Norrie's playing well. Nadal remains to be seen. How do you see some of this uh, tournament draw the bracket shaking out? Well, I appreciate you asking this. Or this is, I feel like, the time for me to get out all of the takes I've been saving in the queue. Shout out to the fan in the crowd who goes, oh, like I'm pretty sure the best college tennis player of all time is playing right now. And then looks out on court and goes, wait, that's not Tom DeVarman. And, I, and it goes, that's Ron Kumar Ramanathan. And I was like, yeah, but he's playing Stevie Johnson. I was like, you guys, you've heard of Stevie Johnson, right? Like, I know this is Virginia territory, but you know Stevie yeah. kicked your derrieres for four years. Like, you guys know who I'm talking about, right? And yeah. shout out to them. That was awesome. So I'm very much looking forward to being on the ground and just hearing what the fans have to say, seeing these fans interact, because sincerely that has been one of the perks of being back here. FAA Brooks, I mean, today's round of 16 matches. You've got FAA Brooksby. Corda versus Sinner, a lot of, we call them the next gen 2.0 on cracked rackets because, you know, the next gen guys, 96 to 2000, the guys 21 and under now, 2.0. A lot of those guys seem to be making a push, making a run here this summer. And of course, you know, given the injury to Rafa, if Rafa wins this tournament, that would be, I, I don't anticipate that happening just given how he's looked physically, but the, the rest of the young guys, whether it be an FAA, whether it be a Yannick Sinner, whether it even be, you know, a Riley Opelka. Riley's got to see these next, these next, next geners and say, wait a second, I'm 23, I'm 24 years old. Let's not, I would feel like a little shine on my, you know, a little yeah. spotlight please, on my performances. And so I'm actually very curious to see if there becomes a little, you know, that conflict between the next gen and the next gen 2.0, are the young guys already ready to surpass that, you know, 23, 24 year old group. And just, again, it just, it feels like so much of the tour is wide open right now. I think given the level of play, we've seen some from so many of these players wide open. It's exactly how I discussed the home stretch of the city open. And that's the thing I'm looking most forward to seeing is how all these matchups play out. Oh, he's near and dear to my heart. I have a story I'm not going to share publicly. Go to Crack Rackets Patreon if you want to hear it. But I had a formative experience during one of the Lions playoff games against the Saints. I won't say what, how formative or what it was. And uh, they're near and dear to my heart forever. We'll leave it at that. Well, hey, you know what? As a, as a Browns fan, it's looking up for us. But you, were the only, you guys were the only fan base that I was like, okay, I, 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 they have the right to feel as bad as we do. Like the only yeah. one I have sympathy for are the Lions. <laughs> well, you know, they, they actually call us the Calvin Johnson and Nick Chubb of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. So I feel like this is a good place for us to end. It all makes it sense. Is. It is. Alex Gruskin, you can catch him on Crack Rackets, the podcast that he has, mini break, cracked interviews, and the Great Shot Podcast. Thanks for joining Tennis Channel Inside In. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Take care.
All right, huge thanks again to Crack Rackets, Alex Gruskin. Check out all of his stuff, some good, enlightening, and funny content that he and his team produces. Good stuff there. We'll see how the City Open shakes out. Nadal, the Americans, a lot of good storylines. We're back to playing hardcore tennis in America. Now we're going to switch gears and talk to a WTA standout that's just 19 years old. Marta Kostuk joins me all the way from the Ukraine talk about a lot in her career development what it was like for her growing up in the ukraine her her addiction at this point to training and how she was able to manage the highs and lows winning her first title as a 14 year old making some runs in majors some interest outside the court it's a fascinating interview with marta kostuk someone that i think we're going to have to invest a lot of stock in as she continues to play and grow marta kostuk now on tennis channel inside it All right, welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. I told everyone this was an international show, and we're going to prove just that today. Our guest this week has already had several seasons of pro tennis under her belt at just 19 years of age. She's won three ITF titles and a match, a and has won a match at every Grand Slam that she's played in, uh, including her best result this past French Open, a fourth round finish there. Joining us now on Tennis Channel Inside In, calling in from the Ukraine, it's Marta Katsuk. Marta, thank you so much for joining the show. Hi, thank you so much for um, asking me to be uh, to be a part of it. Um, hope it's going to be fun. You're a uh, seasoned vet almost, right? It's been like four seasons of pro tennis, just about. You turned you turned pro so young in your career. And it seems like a lot of us already have gotten to know you through the years. And, you know, you just celebrated your 19th birthday. Yeah, um, honestly, after, after Wimbledon this year, I kind of, had a break and uh, got some time to kind of stop and reflect on what my career has been. And I realized in a, in a moment that this this was a already a pretty long journey. I know I've got some some more years on tour, uh, but um, but it, it was a, an interesting fact to realize. Yeah, you've been training, I believe, in the Ukraine. You've taken a break. You've recharged the batteries. How how has it been to still be working tremendously hard, but not playing tennis, working on your fitness, working on other elements? What's that process been like? Last year, I realized that I really love working out because before it was honestly kind of torture for me. Not many people know, but I've been doing acrobatics since I was four or five years old and I and I stopped by 11 and uh, I was I was pretty good so I was incredible physically I didn't have to do anything basically because I was really really strong you know for me it was just very unnatural to do a specific uh, workouts for tennis because I, I was like starting from age five till probably 13, 14, I'd say, I haven't done any specific fitness for tennis because Mm -hmm. I was just like what I had was enough because I was working out, not working out, but I was doing acrobatics like three, four hours every day until I was 11. So, you know, it was kind of enough. Uh, And um, when I started working out uh, again, but for tennis, it was like really like professionally started focusing um yeah like 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 not just like fitness to to just do the fitness but like to really like with the plan with with the vo2 max and you know with all the different like different sorts of things you know i could see the huge improvement throughout the month but it was still a very uh tough process for me in a way because it was something unusual for me. I had to do a lot of running, which I didn't like at first. Uh, a lot of intervals, uh, weights I always liked for some reason. I don't yeah. know. But well, nobody, weights I nobody always likes liked. running. I think that's true. Nobody likes to run. So, but the funny, <laughs> the funny part is that I now I actually enjoy mm-hmm. running a lot. I do more running now, to be honest. It's a kind of turn turn around. Well, you said something there. Uh, you said now. you said that you did acrobatics, and not too many people knew that. I think some of us knew that because I mean, I remember, and some tennis fans remember, you used to do backflips after you won big matches. So I don't know if that's still a thing. Yeah. If you can still do a backflip, but I guess if you win, we'll find out. 
<laughs> well, I I was doing them only while uh, well, only after I was winning titles. I mm-hmm. think this was like a and uh, a big thing because I can't like um, I can't divide matches into important matches and not important yeah. matches. So I was only doing it while after winning titles, and it's mm-hmm. been uh, pretty long since since I won one one <laughs> so yeah. that was doing great i know but uh it's just um, i wasn't really winning titles so but i think once i get a chance once i win a title i'll probably do it again i think i'm still in shape well yeah i mean i i think uh, we're all looking forward to that and uh marta i'm just looking at your backstory again you're, you're still very young on your tennis journey but it seemed like it was inevitable that you were going to be a tennis player because your mom, your coach was a tennis player. Your dad was the technical director at a tournament. So it was really like predestined. Like, I don't know if you had other interests, but tennis was in your blood. And at an early age, it was kind of easy to see why you got involved in the sport. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I will agree with you here because uh, I don't I don't think it's like directly connected to, to my parents being uh, close to tennis. It just happened that when I was born, I really loved and enjoyed playing tennis. So I was, I was probably just lucky because another part of my family is not really into tennis. So, and they are not very enjoying tennis. I mean, not enjoying watching tennis, but enjoying working and playing tennis. Yeah. They enjoy watching you, I'm sure. And yeah, but yeah. So it's just, I was honestly born under a lucky star because because my mom is, you know, my coach and it helps me a lot throughout my career. So it's just happened to be like that. But yeah, I love tennis. It's definitely my blood. You know, your style of play is known as being very aggressive, assertive in, in many ways, more so than most players. Did that come from your mom's teaching or is that just something that was inside you and just kind of how you took the approach to the game? Not many people know and so many people still think wrong but uh set the record straight i like so for some reason when i ask other players or coaches or people everyone thinks that i play flat and fast and strong but um i just i just don't play flat it's always going with the spin and um you know and for me it's just first of all it's just tough to under to to explain people how I play because from the side, it looks not how it really okay. is, but uh, yeah, um, my aggressive style was, um, was built by my mom because naturally I'm a defensive player. I love to play aggressive, but that's not what I can always do. I always have to constantly work on it because if I don't work on it, it like the level of my aggressive uh, play drops. So yeah, it's, it was built by my mom. So some of us who have really followed the sport first heard about you in May of 2017 when you won that title in Hungary is it was just, who is this 14 year old girl that's won an ITF title going into your career at that point? Was that just the next step in your journey? Because there's a Marta, there's a short list of players that have won titles before they're 15. Sharapova, Kornikova, you know, Safina, you're on that list. Did it feel like it was normal or did it, were you just shocked like the rest of us? Like, wow, I'm 14 years old and I'm already winning titles. Uh, well, first of all, not titles, but titles, title, yeah. <laughs> only okay. one. Uh, second of all, um, it was like that part. Uh, of the year and that part of of my career let's let just like at this this moment let's just combine my junior career and my uh, pro career uh i won slam in, in that year and then i and then i won uh, 20 in um in may it's two pretty big titles in a very short period of time and um I can't remember all the names to be honest, but I beat Schmidlova and I beat and I beat Para in the finals. Yeah. And I beat Ipek Soilu in quarterfinals, if I'm not mistaken. So you're beating so she, professional she used to, like, players. I, like yeah, you're not beating like you're beating players that either had yeah, already yeah, played yeah, on yeah. tour or are yeah, about to. Yeah, it was like 
Yeah, it was like really good players. Like mm-hmm. you can see Pera is like, uh, I, I honestly don't know what's her ranking is now. They're like 60, 70, I don't know, 50. Uh, but, you know, all these players, they were they were good. And it was it was incredible tournament for me. I remember how well I was playing there. And the fun fact is that I switched the racket one week before playing this tournament. Whoa. Like I switched from one brand to another. I switched to Yonex. I practiced with the racket for a week and I won the tournament. It was it was funny because it was it's a very fun fact. I actually just realized it that in the beginning of 2020, I played Australian Open. I lost first round qualies. My racket really like is not fitting me anymore. Like it's it's not good and I need to change. I go home, I change racket to, I change the model, I change to, to the blue one. And I practice with it two weeks and I win the tournament in Egypt. Wow. So it was, it was also, it's funny. Yeah, it's very, uh, very quick change and very, and a, and a big title right away. It's just fascinating um, to me because so, not too many players have had that success early. And looking at your trajectory, I don't want to skip too far ahead. But 2018 comes and mm-hmm. it's the Australian Open run. That seems to me like the life-changing moment. Like you went from just a successful junior player who turned pro early to now you got a wild card at Australia and you're winning matches there. I think you said you gained something like 15,000 social media followers after that tournament. Like you're 15 and you're already a big deal on a national stage. Like it, it can, you know, it can be hard to deal with. I'm imagining. So after winning 25k. It was tough because I wasn't approaching the pro- the training process right right after it because th- there was very short break between 25K and Roland Garros, Junior Roland Garros. Yeah. And I was coming into Roland Garros with a huge pressure after winning the slam before. And it was, you know, I wasn't really dealing with the pressure right. It's going to the to the same answer as you asked, as you just like, it's going to the same answer to the question you just asked me. I think what's very important to learn is to learn how to manage the pressure because tennis is the sport where you have to compete almost every week unless you're injured or you just like have to rest yeah and you're not um, and you're not really and, winning uh, a lot either i mean you know, there's only one winner year, you know like that's that's got to be the other thing is that yeah there's only one winner every week well you all you lose yeah, you lose almost every week. Like mm. I lose every week. Let's say <laughs> not every, every week I play. I lose. Let's say for for yeah. a year already. <laughs> yeah, for a year yeah. already. And you're and having a good this, year. It's That's like a and crazy it's thing. like it's fine. Yeah. And you, yeah, and you need to like realize it. But about the pressure, uh, it's it's very important to understand what works best for you because everyone is different. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna tell anyone what to do, but. After this huge run at Australian Open, I think I was talking about it in different interviews, but what I did was a huge mistake because, and, and the people that I was surrounded with didn't help me at, the, at that point either. Mm-hmm. And I, I sat on the couch at Australian Open after I played third round. And I said, and I was like, how am I going to defend these points next year? Because this was like, so basically all the points that I had, it was like I was 500 in the world, and after Australian Open, I jumped into top 250. Mm-hmm. It was a terrible time in my life. After that, like 2018, 2019, it was it was really tough. It was unbelievable experience. It was some in, in, like incredible matches, tournaments, people that I've met. Um, it was it was incredible journey. Yeah. Like. Don't get me wrong, but it was a very tough time in my life. It was just, it was, you were not really playing tennis, and but you were thinking about all the hundred different things. Yeah, it sounds like tennis. it sounds like it was more so an anxiety thing than, than like the, yeah. like you've yeah. always been a hard worker and you're able to put the time in and it wasn't letting any success get to your head. It was more mental. Like, I think you've also mentioned that 18 was like a benchmark for you. If you don't accomplish certain yeah. things, by 18, you're looked at somewhat, in your opinion at the time, as a failure, which couldn't be farther from the truth. But I think it's it's fascinating to shed light now that it's kind of in vogue and, and you know in the mainstream right now. The mental side of this thing, you have the biggest moment in your life, and you're just thinking, how can I follow this? It's 
I mean, there's a lot of pressure in this game. Yeah, yeah, for it, sure. So yeah, well, it's it's fascinating here, uh, Marta. I do want to bring up some some lighter moments as well, not just to the heavy stuff. Yeah, ever. No. Um, I, I I'm wondering what I mean. You did lose in that Australian Open to your uh, your countrywoman Alina Svitolina, who you know has done some great things. Ukraine. I mean, you're kind of next in line. There's been some some players coming through. It's it's been a lot of recent success. Like, if you noticed that the Ukraine talent, especially on the female side, has really blossomed in the last decade or so. Yeah, um, the tennis was um, let's say ten years ago. Uh, it was a different story, a different tennis. Okay, um, I honestly don't know what exactly changed that uh, so many great players started to come up from Ukraine. There is no specific answer and I haven't really like put my thoughts into it to give you like a good answer. But you guys are pushing Um, each other though. I mean, I I think we see that, you know, the competition between, between the players, Fidelina, yourself, Yastremska, a lot of other players that are coming up. It seems like you guys are kind of pushing each other similarly to how the American women have been having collective success for the last couple decades. I, I agree. Uh, when I was when I was younger, I couldn't deal with this throughout like my tough tough years. Okay, that I couldn't like even give it a thought that I also need to compete in a way against these girls. So for me, at the at the times, it was tough to understand that they actually make me a better player because if if they were not there. I wouldn't kind of, you know, see it or like be close to it, you know, because it's very precious time that we spend together at the Fed Cups as well. Yeah. You need to like, you can't underestimate it because the person like Alina, okay, she was top 10 for, for years now. And the fact that I can spend time with her and like, being close to her and realizing that it's actually possible, you know, that people who are top 10, you know, they're alive and they're, they're, they're in the, the flesh, same yeah. as you, you know, they're also humans. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a funny thing, but it's very important to, to have it in life. It's, it's honestly, it, it brings a lot of difference. And it took me some time to realize that this competition that we have between us is actually helping me grow. Uh, and I believe that as soon as you understand and as soon as you can deal with it, which is very important, deal with this competition in between girls, um, then you then it's gonna it's it's only gonna help you. And I believe that there are another um, young girls coming up, and we're gonna we're gonna probably see some more and more great names in the top hundred from Ukraine. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Marta Kostuk on Tennis Channel Inside In. And those young girls are going to probably look up to you now. That's how this works, um, especially after the French yeah. Open this year. Uh, I want to mention that. 2021 Roland Garros started with a bang for you, beating uh, a, a former champion, Garbini Muguruza, in, in straight sets. You make the fourth round. You end up losing in a tightly contested match to the defending champ, Swiatek. But fourth round breakthrough at a slam, and you were 18 at the time. So this was... You putting it all together from the outside, did something feel right going into that tournament? Because you were coming off of having COVID, not having been played a lot. What clicked in that week, week, week and a half long run where you were able to put it together? So I had some uh, some important changes in my life before before Langaros. Uh, they were not bad. They were not bad, but uh, they were great. So that helped me for sure. I don't know. I came. I came to Paris. I was there alone for a day, and uh, Ricardo Piatti uh, helped me. And I was practicing with the sparring, and Ricardo told me like, "This is the best I've seen you play since I know you." And, and 
it was just like I was playing so good, like so naturally, you know, naturally good. And um, and after I came out of that practice, I saw the draw and I started crying <laughs> because I was I was disappointed. You know, I knew I'm in a good shape. I practiced really well. I uh, almost healed my shoulder. So I was not in pain finally for the first time in months. And I was in, I was really enjoying playing tennis. And, you know, I started crying because I was disappointed that I got the top draw and, you know, and all this work for nothing, you know, and I was like, uh, and I was crying and I called my mom. I called my mom and I was crying. And she, she's an unbelievable woman. And she, she calmed me down in a second. And when I played with Garbinia, we had the night like last match and uh, we started mad like after 8 p.m. or so, something like this. And I woke up in the morning and all I was thinking about the whole day is this match. And it was very tiring because because I, I love to play like first, second match because you wake up, you do your routine, you warm up, you wait for the match and it's all pretty quick. So you don't get, you don't have this extra time to think about the match. For me, the biggest fear I had going into this match was uh, not losing, but uh, not showing not, not fighting or not showing of. up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. it's it's pressure because we've seen Garbini play a lot of big matches and we've seen players like yourself with a lot of potential that they just get rattled in that moment. And, you know, I think part of that is you didn't crumble. You played tough through the tournament. You play with a lot of passion and a lot of emotion. And I think, you know, the, the Swiatek match, yeah. some of that emotion was let out. You know, you, there was some rumbling, some yelling there. But I think... In some cases, you're specific. You're specifically that sort of emotional out, outburst and outlook helps you. Do you think you play better when you have more passion and you're really in the moment? Yeah, I think it helps me. Just there is a very fine line between being uh, passionate and let the emotions out, and uh, being frustrated and uh, just. Uh, burning out the energy and not helping and giving the not helping yourself and um and giving a lot of energy and opportunities to the to the opponent there is a very fine line and some that sometimes i cross unfortunately but that's that's my <laughs> probably like not not um the, the the side that i need to improve but i'm improving so i think this is this is very important and yeah, I, it, it definitely helps me. But the, the problem with me being very passionate and emotional is that not many people uh, that I was surrounded with could handle it, you know, because since I was very young, uh, when I was, you know, having different coaches and different opinions about me, everyone was telling me that the fact that I am who I am, so basically the fact that I'm emotional and I'm passionate is bad. Mm. And I need to change that. Like... If I'm going to change that, I'm going to be very good. But not many people understand that this is part of me, that I can't just You have erase. to be yourself. I mean, you have to be yourself, yeah. too. That's, that's part exactly. of it. Exactly. I can improve. Yeah. I can do things better, but I can't change myself. So, um, And it's not my advantage. So I'm uh, like balancing with it. Well, Marta, this has been fun chatting with you. Uh, before I let you go and we talk about kind of what's on deck for you, I, I do want to know, just on the aside, you know, there's some there's the behind-the-scenes stuff that the, the fans don't get to see. So, you know, when you're, when you're traveling, when you do have some downtime, what are some of your interests and some of the things you like to do, aside from apparently working out every day? Now, uh, I've, so as I said in the beginning of the, of the podcast, that... I, after Wimbledon, I kind of had time to stop and uh, reflect on what my career has been. I as well stopped in, in a, like for, in a different parts of my life uh, with, the, with the thinking. And um, I re and I started to realize more and more what I like, what I want to do, what I enjoy, what I don't enjoy, because you're always because I was injured for like 
pretty long time, like eight, nine months. And I was constantly in pain and constantly traveling. And I was in this mode that I don't really have life, like beside tennis and like tennis, sleep, eat, practice, tennis, sleep, eat, you know, that now I started to realize more and more. So what I love and enjoy is I love painting with the numbers. You know, you get the, the picture, the whatever it's called, uh, with the with the little uh, paint or with the what it's called. I'm not sure. It's not an interest of uh, colors. Oh, water, and you like watercolor paint. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah, oh, that's I don't think I've had that answer before yeah. <laughs> from a pro tennis player. But that's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's very uh, relaxing. Like it's it's not easy. It's it's really good. It's like it's enjoyable because once you're done, you're like very very proud of yourself, you know. <laughs> so um, this was this was one of my hobbies. Then um, I love some extreme in my life. Like I, I'm very like I'm not I'm not afraid of many things. So it's it's been also my thing that I need to like stop <laughs> a little bit sometimes. Like it's too much. Um, what does that mean? Like you, you're like you're you need some extreme. Well, some like for example some water sports you oh, know okay. that you go on the on the water on the river on yeah. the you know and okay. you and you go with the you know different things that are not very uh, uh that are a little bit dangerous especially okay. with the, some of my injuries uh but you know it's just some things just <laughs> can't stop me yeah. uh yeah and i don't know i love reading uh i love reading i don't really watch movies and any series like i, I just it's either has to be very good that someone recommends me, someone I trust okay. that is going to give me something good because otherwise I don't have time. So I either read or paint okay. or I don't know. So you're not afraid of anything then? That's what you just said? Like there's nothing that scares you in this world? Or is there like one thing where you're like, okay, that, that scares me? Let's let's change the, the, the sentence. So <laughs> I'm uh, afraid of many things, but I uh, I'm very like... If I decided that I have to do it or brave. I want to do it, there is nothing yeah. can stop me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Marta, thanks so much for spending time with me on Tennis Channel Inside In. Last question. I mean, you have a lot of career left, hopefully. Do you have short-term and long-term goals? Are you looking at this season and then beyond, or you just take it one match, one tournament at a time? Uh, well, my short-term goals are probably um, – being healthy and not in pain and uh, constantly improving my game. I would love to finish this year in top 50. This was my goal since the beginning of the year. Um, but I have, everyone has a lot of points to drop, uh, including me. And uh, this is, uh, this is something that also gives me uh, a little, you know, uh, inside uh, not fear, but like, um, you know, there's, there's work to do to be top 50, a big work, like a big part of work to do. And, um, I think very important to keep on improving, 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 because this is what counts in the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day and, uh, long term, long term, um, I want to have the career grand slam. Oof. So this Those is my love. Yeah, that's, this is that's, my long term. Hey, that that that's a lofty goal, but that's the right way to think, in my opinion. You're 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 shooting for the moon, and a lot of players would be afraid to say that out loud. That they're just they're trying to win every Grand Slam, or they would say it, but they might not believe it. But the confidence is is definitely clear with you. So um, I guess I can follow that up with one one side question here, and then we'll go. If you had to yeah, pick one, no what's your favorite no Grand Slam tournament? Like, if you could only win one, do you have a preference? Is there one that stands out? Like, that's the one I'm 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 really going for. Um, <laughs> it's a tough question. Uh, I'd say probably probably U.S. Open. I don't know why. I I really love New York, okay. and uh, I think it would be great to to have a title there. Okay. I saw the, I saw the, uh, Instagram post where you were doing the challenge where you were face down. Uh, I think that was times square. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I can tell you really so love you New can, York. Yeah. 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 
Awesome. Uh, Marta Kostuk, thank you so much for joining Tennis Channel Insight, and we really appreciate you coming on the show. Best of luck going forward, uh, one tournament at a time. Hopefully some major success uh, coming forward, but thanks for joining Tennis Channel Insight, Dan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Huge thanks again to Marta Kostuk for appearing from the Ukraine and uh, making time out of her morning to chat with us. Wish her the best in her future and the uh, painting as well. Wish her the best on that as well. But huge thanks again to Alex Gruskin too. And a reminder that you can catch every episode of Tennis Channel Inside and on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Just go to tennis.com slash podcast. It's that easy. We're available on all your platforms. A new episode drops each Thursday. Interviews with players, analysts, coaches, legends, you name it. We have it all on Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening. My name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week.